0: I'm amazed at how, I shouldn't be amazed, but I always am as how the Holy Spirit seems to speak the same message to different people. And then we come together on Sundays, and we're like, oh, the Lord told you that. And it's so in line with what I wanna share. Um, Both what Missy shared in the beginning, and what Lindsay shared is, is exactly what I feel like God has on his heart for us today. I had three different sermons, and this is where we landed, and it seems like the Lord is saying amen with us. So. So I want to talk about coming boldly today, and I want to share a little bit of my story to start with, and then we want to have a look at just Jesus' life, who he was, who he is today. But let me start with just an idea of where I have come from. So I've been saved for a very long time, grew up in a Christian home, but when I gave my life to the Lord, I... I believed this lie that only certain emotions or certain level of emotion was acceptable now. And I could show a little bit of joy, but not too much, just stay dignified. And you could shed a tear, but don't overdo it. You know, too much emotion um, is not really a good thing. And anything too extreme disqualified me from being a mature believer. And of course, this was not true. But my behavior and my faithfulness to God, though those are good things, were what I believed allowed me to draw near to Him or not. And so because I so wanted to please Him, as we all do, I found it hard to keep doing the right things. There was a tremendous pressure on me because I really wanted to to please Him. And so in this misguided thinking, I believed that I could only approach Him when everything felt peaceful inside, when I was feeling righteous. I hadn't quite stepped into the revelation that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, I think it's kind of obvious that this kind of thinking is not grace-filled, and it's certainly not in line with what the Word teaches us. And so the truth is, there's an invitation for us to come boldly to Him, and we're going to do that this morning. And we're gonna see that no matter what place we find ourselves in, every place we find ourselves in is an opportunity to connect with him, not step away from him. Can I just pray for us before we jump into the message? Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you have come with such a clear agenda this morning to draw us close, to show us, Lord, that there is always a way to come close to you. Holy Spirit, we... We open our hearts to see you, to hear you, to come into your presence boldly. Thank you, Lord, that you've made a way in the Spirit for us to draw near. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's jump into Hebrews 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in some of the ways that we get tempted. No, he's been tempted in every single way that we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Why do we approach with confidence? So that we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. We don't have to be perfect and then come. We come in our time of desperate need. We come because we need grace. We always need grace. We always need mercy. And this scripture says to me that every emotion we we experience, every state that we find ourselves in is an opportunity to connect with Jesus. It's never a place to run from him because he's been in the very place that we find ourselves. And so rather than believing like I did that my feelings disqualify me, now they make a connection, a place, a point of connection for me with my king because he understands not in theory but by experience. Every state is an opportunity to connect with him. And so my hope this morning is really very simple, that we would catch a glimpse of Jesus Who became flesh on our behalf. He sits on the throne with eyes that burn like fire, with a voice like rushing waters, but he also became fully human. And when we get that, it's a whole lot easier to come boldly to him with all our stuff without reserve because we know that he fully gets us and he longs for us to come close. Most of you are familiar with the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his beauty and grace. I think sadly, at times, the reality sounds a little bit more like this, and maybe you can relate. Turn your eyes onto the things of the world. Turn your eyes onto the misperceptions of who Jesus is. And he will grow strangely dim in the light of all the distractions and lies we believe. You've heard Greg say often, it's more important what you get saved out of than what what you get saved into than what you get saved out of. What we get saved into, the theology we sit under, the teachings that we believe, will create accurate or inaccurate perceptions of who Jesus is. And when the perceptions are accurate, he grows so much greater than everything else around us. That's off my notes. You see, it's easy to wander away. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy even, I, I hate the, the phrase, but it's very real right now, to deconstruct our faith when we don't really know Him. You know, it's easier to walk away from an acquaintance, somebody that you're not doing life with every day, somebody who doesn't have a seat at your table regularly But it's very difficult and painful to lose someone, either a friendship or someone dear to you that you've done life with for many years. Suddenly there's this huge gap and it's painful. We're supposed to know him. We're supposed to miss him when he's not around. He's always around, but when we feel that, we're supposed to draw near to him, not just be acquainted with him. And so I wanna have a closer look at who this beautiful Jesus is. Who is this Jesus that we talk about, that the scripture says is outstanding among us? The one who chose to become fully human on our behalf. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And here's the reality. We, sometimes we, we miss the, what this is really saying. Jesus was born of woman in the flesh. It was messy, birth is messy. If you've witnessed or given birth, it is messy. Jesus was born in the flesh to a young woman in a stable. It's not just what we see in the nativity scene. Jesus died the most excruciating death It's not just Jesus on the cross that sometimes we see, though that is beautiful. But he was beaten beyond recognition as a human being. He was born in the flesh and he died in the flesh. And he made a decision to step out of the heavenly realm and become a man. He said, I'm choosing to bear the weight of sin and temptation, though he never sinned. And I, I have I focused and I believe it is true that he did withdraw often to spend time with his father to hear what his father had next for him. But I've wondered recently if some of the times he didn't withdraw was because the weight was so heavy, because Jesus lived amongst the depravity of man and he knew he was the only answer. When he saw the lost, when he saw the hurting, when he saw the broken, when he saw the religious, He knew he was the only answer. And being a prophet, he carried that weight of, I am it for these people. And I think sometimes he just needed to withdraw and take a deep breath because he was fully human at that time. John 1 from verse 14 says, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, "Look, the lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me." I don't want you to miss this. John was emotional here. He cried out. It wasn't John cried out and then he said, "No, John cried out. This is the one I was telling you about. I had this picture of him sitting around the fire with his with his disciples who became Jesus' disciples. And he was saying, remember, I was trying to describe him to you last night when we were having dinner. This is the one. Now you see him, don't, don't miss him. This is the one I was telling you about. John was so overwhelmed with excitement. You see, the word became flesh means he became like us with feelings and emotions and physical limitations and temptations. The word became flesh means Jesus had fun with his people. It means he grew weary and needed to sleep. It means he grew hungry and needed to eat meals. And so this is why we can come boldly to the throne of grace because he's been in every place that we find ourselves. We're not invited into this relationship with somebody who has no idea what you've gone through. No, he was tempted in every way. Yeah. Jesus is fully God, he was fully God, but for 33 years, he was fully man, he was fully human. He had deep emotions, and we're gonna have a look at some of those. He had emotions of love and sorrow and feeling overwhelmed. He had emotions of grief and he had emotions of great joy And he was fun-loving. He is real. So let's have a look at just just a few stories. We'd be here all day if we had to go through all of it. But to start with, he loved deeply. I think that's obvious. That's why we can be here today. He loved so deeply that he gave his life for us. He loved so deeply that he could say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. When he says, love one another deeply, it's not in a vacuum. When he says, forgive one another, it's not in a vacuum. He did, and he does love us deeply. He wept. He wept over Jerusalem. Through tears, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing Maybe you're here today and and you know what this feels like. You know what it means to weep over someone that you love deeply. Maybe you're praying for your children. Maybe you're praying for a spouse or a close friend or a parent that doesn't know the Lord and and you've shed many tears longing for them to come back to him. Jesus wept with sadness and longing for Jerusalem to return to him. How I long to gather you. The point of this is he understands and he empathizes with you in those moments. It's not theory for him. Jesus grieved, he grieved. Maybe you're here and you are walking or have walked through deep loss of someone you love. And so sorrow and grief are familiar emotions for you. Maybe even today as you're here, maybe you wonder, know what it feels like to think, how am I gonna move forward? I don't know how I'm gonna move forward from this loss. Let's look at Matthew 14. Jesus finds out the news that his cousin John has been beheaded. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. They went and told Jesus. When he heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Right now, Jesus is experiencing grief, because he's just heard that someone that he loves deeply has been brutally murdered. And I think in this moment, he probably isn't able to speak, or he might be so overwhelmed with emotion, and he says, I just need a little space. We're going to do everything we're going to do, but I just I just need to be alone. Just give me a little space. It was a very real moment of grief for him. <clears throat> Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow. Maybe you're facing circumstances that feel completely overwhelming, and you've said, God, how are we we gonna get on the other side of this? Mark 14, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus says, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. He was about to take all the sickness and all the sin on his body. He knew what was coming. What I wanna to say to you in this moment is that you can come to him in the, at the point of your absolute greatest need. In your place of feeling completely overwhelmed, you can come to him because he gets it and he has compassion on you. I've tasted what it feels like in loss and and have thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to breathe again. I don't know how we're gonna get past this. But I also want to tell you that I knew the supernatural comfort of God. When I look back, I think, how in the world did we get through some of this stuff? But I also know God restores, and he does, and he will. Because otherwise, I wouldn't be able to be here today but he is a God who comforts in the middle of it because he gets it, he's also a God who restores us. What we go through is not theory for Jesus, it never is. I was talking through some of this with a friend and this is what she pointed out to me, that it's interesting that shortly after Jesus saying he was deeply distressed and troubled, he said to his disciples, comforting them, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And I realized, again, this wasn't in a vacuum for him, because he knew what their troubled hearts felt like. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. He understood what, what they were feeling, because he had, he had carried the weight of the world. He gets it. I found this fascinating that in, in the moment of him losing someone close to him, he said, I just need a little bit of space. And then when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, stay near to me. Come with me. You know, grief is a, is a strange thing. It has so many different times, and it's unpredictable. In one moment of grief, Jesus needed space. In another moment of his own grief, he needed people around him. Sometimes when you're grieving or if we have someone who is, you just need to be present. You don't need words. You don't need, you just need to be there. And Jesus needed them just to be there. He had compassion. Let's have a look at how compassionate his heart heart was, even though he knew what was coming. So we find him in John 11. He has compassion for Mary, and she's weeping because her brother Lazarus has died. And Jesus knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but his heart is breaking because he sees her pain. He sees her loss. Because she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus sees her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. There was a lot of sadness in this moment. And it says, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus wept with him, not because he didn't know, but because he felt their pain. You see, when when we hurt, he hurts. He has compassion for you. He really does feel what you're feeling. Psalm 103 says, The Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He has compassion on you today. Looking at the clock there. Okay. (laughs) Jesus got angry. You know, we say gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus is gentle, meek, not mild. Jesus got angry with religious tradition that stopped people from experiencing healing and freedom. Jesus hates the religious spirit and the bondage that it brings. And I just wanna say to you, I'm going off my notes again, (laughs) okay? I have seen the religious spirit in the spirit. It is not something you want to play with or come near it will put you in bondage run away from it it is not the spirit of god because he's the spirit of freedom amen so in mark 3 5 we find him healing the man with the withered hand on the sabbath to the horror of the pharisees the religious leaders now jesus loves the religious leaders he went to the cross for them we are not fighting people we are fighting a spirit. Right so it says, he looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your heart, uh, arm or your hand, whatever version. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. See, I, I like to picture these stories. So if you would do that with me, I, I kind of see Jesus saying, everybody step back. Come bring me your withered hand you're getting healed, Sabbath or not. You need healing. And they're freaking out because you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And shortly after this, they, they go and plot his death. Jesus is not faced by that. He sees the man who needs healing. And I think he wanted to show them this is what's gonna happen. And there are many accounts in the gospels where it's a whole sermon on its own, where Jesus defied the cultural norms of the day In the face of the religious leaders because he loves people he wants to see people free he showed a different anger i would i would say maybe more of a frustration towards his disciples when they tried to stop the children coming to him and i think his motive was their motive was to protect him he'd had a busy day of ministry but these little ones were so important to jesus they're saying just be careful, just be you know, back off, back off. And we, we were somewhere a little while ago and they were like, well, we'll, we'll protect you when the people come up for ministry. And we we're like, no, we wanna pray for the people. That's why we're here. Um, Jesus wanted to pray for the children. They brought the little children to him so that he would lay his hands on them and bless them and pray for them. The disciples scolded them, said, don't bother him with this now. Jesus says, I want the children to come to me, so never interfere with them when they want to come. Never interfere with them when they want to come. If we go back into Matthew 18, it says, if anyone abuses one of these little ones who believes in me, it would be better for him to have a heavy boulder tied around his neck and be hurled into the deeper sea than to face the punishment he deserves. That's what the scripture says. <laughs> you see, there's a holy anger in Jesus for anything that hinders his children, little, little ones, big ones, all ones, coming to him. There, there should be a holy anger in us from anything that would hinder or deceive or lie to our children about what is true. It should make you mad. He feels the same anger that you do. And may I say that what the things that are coming against the children, against the next generation, against our young people now, is nothing short of demonic. But it begs the question, what has the Lord got in store for the children that are growing up now? What has He got for them that is such a threat She's agreeing with me. My granddaughter's saying, amen. (laughs) You go, Natalie, you go. (laughs) They are born for such a time as this. Don't believe anything else. There is a calling on them. Yes, there is a press against them, but there is a calling on them. And the children that we see now are gonna lead us in revival. They are gonna have encounters that we're gonna be jealous about. It is a good thing that they are here today. Let the little children come to him and do not hinder them. There are times when we should feel a holy anger towards things that are unjust, towards things that hurt or withhold the bride from receiving what Jesus paid for. And he shares that holy anger with us. Okay, let's take a deep breath. I need a deep breath. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna pivot a little bit. Jesus was joyful. He was filled with joy. That's what Luke 10:21 says. At that time, Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. In John 17, 13, I'm coming to you. I say these things while I'm still in the world so that you may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus loves us loves it when we are filled with his joy. And Tom mentioned this a couple weeks ago. It's not about being happy because the circumstances are happy. There's a deep inner joy that we are meant to have because we know him. Jesus was fun loving. I really see a lot of his humor and his personality coming out in a number of his stories. And I think He loves to laugh with us. He likes it when we have fun. In the well-known story of Jesus' first miracles in John 2, 3 to 5, where he turns the water into wine, we find him at a wedding with his mom, Mary. And the wine runs out too early, and she turns to her son. I can just hear her saying, they've run out of wine, and you need to do something about it. And Jesus says to her, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And I picture this young carpenter saying, mom, just mom, just
1: leave me out of this.
0: The way sons do to their mothers. Just mom, just. And she, doesn't, she completely ignores him. She says to the servants, just do whatever he tells you. He will tell you what to do, and that's what you need to do. And I think part of him doing this miracle was to honor Mary. He goes ahead, he tells the servants to bring the jars of water and he turns the water into the best wine. I believe Jesus was just smiling as they marveled at the quality of this wine at the wedding, because it's supposed to be the cheap wine at the end, because no one's gonna notice it's the cheap wine. And the best is served at the end. He, He saves the best for last. They were out of wine and the best came last. There's an analogy if you can catch it there. See, another fun moment happens just shortly after he's been raised from the dead. They've already met with him and they've gone out fishing, the disciples. Jesus is taking a walk on the beach and he sees them, this is in John 21, he sees them struggling to get fish. And he's just watching them. I think with a glint in his eye, They don't recognize him and he casually shouts out, hey guys, you caught anything yet? Got any fish? He knows they haven't. He also knows what he's about to do. And he suggests to them, why don't you just try the other side of the boat? They were probably a little bit ticked with him. We've been fishing all night and you're saying, just change where you put the nets. I, I see Jesus having a good laugh and just watching them, just pulling in all these fish. Just the nets were now overflowing with fish. Jesus goes, he makes a fire on the beach so they can have breakfast. He knows they've been out all night, they're hungry. They get onto the shore, now they're counting. There was 153 fish that they counted. And he's like, us: just come and eat. You've been out all night. Let's come and eat some of all the fish that you've had. He was just having fun with them. He was having fellowship with the people that he loved. Towards the end of John, John 1, John's disciples are now becoming Jesus' disciples. We find Philip with Nathaniel, and he says to Nathanael, Nathanael, we found the one that Moses wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel didn't quite share the same excitement, and his didn't have a great response. Well, what good can come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked Jesus, how do you know me? And he says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And suddenly Nathaniel realizes this is the son of God. And Jesus says to him, you believe because you've seen me, but you are about to see greater things. Little did they know that they were about to see bread multiplied, they were about to see storms cease. They were about to see the dead raised. They were about to see demons flee. Jesus is like, this is nothing. Just wait. You don't know what's coming. You know, so often Jesus smiles at us because he knows what's coming. He knows the goodness that he stored up for us. He knew how much more exciting things there were for him, for them to see in him. He's with us in our times of sadness, he's with us in our times of pain, but he's also with us in our times of celebration, in our times of fun, in our times of community. When we do sit round the proverbial fire and enjoy a meal together, when we tease one another, like he did with his disciples over and over again, had nicknames for them, he loves that. He did that, he was human. When you have a win, he's celebrating with you. He was, he's, he was fully God, then he was fully man too. In closing, I'm gonna ask the worship team to start coming up, if you would. John Foster, in one of his books, tells how he came home to find his daughter in tears. It was long ago, she was listening to the radio, and he asked her why. And he found out that there was a news bulletin and it had a sentence that said this. Japanese tanks entered Canton today. Most people would hear that with maybe a faint feeling of regret. Statesmen would have heard it with a grim foreboding, but to most people, it didn't really make a big difference. Why then was his daughter in tears? Because she had been born in Canton. And to her... Canton meant a home, it meant school, it meant friendships. The difference was she had been there. See, when you have been there, it it makes all the difference. And there's no part of your human experience or my human experience of which God will ever say, I haven't been there. So when we have a sad story or when life has drenched us in tears, we don't go to a God who's unable to understand. We go to a God who has been there. And today, this Jesus who became flesh on our behalf, the Son of Man, whose eyes today are like blazing fire, and his voice is like a rushing wind, and he does sit on the throne. He invites us to come boldly, to come boldly to the throne of grace. And maybe some of you just need to reconnect there. Maybe you've allowed your emotional state or what you're going through to feel like a disconnect. And when I make things right, I'll come back. No, there's an invitation for you today to come boldly regardless of your state. In your place of deepest pain, of great need, in your place where you're trusting God for the breakthrough, He invites you to come boldly because now you know that He gets you and there's an invitation to come and receive mercy and grace in your time of need. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're just going to spend time in worship coming boldly, to the throne of grace because He gets us, because He's been there. Father, we thank You for this beautiful and powerful invitation that we get to come boldly to Your throne of grace. Jesus, we just wanna say thank You for all that You went through, for all that You were and all that You are today, for all that You experienced so that You can truly say You've, you've been there, You've been in the trenches with us You feel our pain, you love our joy. God, we invite you now, Lord, to to just come and be amongst us corporately, but Lord, we choose individually to draw near boldly to your throne of grace and receive what we need. And we thank you, Lord, that you get us. We thank you, Jesus, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Jesus be the center of it all, Jesus be the center of it all, from beginning
2: Are a couple people here who don't know this Jesus, who've never surrendered their heart to the Father. And I was just sitting back there watching you worship, and I believe like today is your day. Today is the day where the Holy Spirit has been, you can feel it in your heart. You know that it's you. Your heart is just racing. The Lord had you in mind when you walked through those doors today. And so I just like to pray for you and also. There's also a couple people here who who feel like they've just messed up and God can't use you anymore and that you've just, you've lost your connection with him. And I'd also like to pray for you for that connection with your father. He's always been by your side. So heavenly father, I thank you, Lord. You are never too far from us. Father, I thank you for the individuals right now who wanna know you as Lord and savior. If you just pray after me, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for the wrongdoings, for the sins. Lord, come inside my heart, make me brand new. I wanna live with you, I wanna know you, I wanna know this God. And we wanna celebrate today that you gave your life to Jesus. And for the individual who thought that they were too far away from God, that he can't use you, that he doesn't know you, you know what, he has never left your side, he died for you. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You can look on the palms of my hands. And so today, if you prayed that prayer or that rededication, some of our leaders will be out front in the lobby and we'd, we have a free gift for you and we'd love to shake your hand. We'd love to give you a hug and welcome you to the Northlands family. We're so excited, we wanna celebrate with you. And so welcome, welcome to the Northlands family. Anything that we have talked about today, any of the upcoming information, you can scan the QR code in front of your seat and uh, it'll connect you to all the information here at Northlands. And I just wanna say thank you to Michelle Haswell. What a powerful message to come boldly before the throne. At this time, I'd like to invite the ministry team to come up. I wanna encourage you. Believe big, come boldly before the throne. Let one of our ministry leaders up here who are trained pray for you. You will see mountains melt like wax before you. You will see healings, you will you will feel the hope and the peace and the love of Jesus. Come boldly, let them pray for you. There's a, a list of things, words of knowledge is what we call them here at Northlands Church. They're gonna come up on the screen, take a moment, If any of those resonate with you, let one of our powerful leaders pray boldly for you. And if it's not on that list, come anyways. We'd love to pray for you. With that, hopefully we'll see you Wednesday night at our summer series or next Sunday. Have a wonderful, blessed week in the Lord Jesus.